welcome to Net Zero for Nothing, the podcast from the National Home Improvement Council, connecting industry, government and householders on the pathway towards zero carbon homes. I'm your host, Anna Scothan, Chief Executive of the National Home Improvement Council. And in this episode of Net Zero for Nothing, I'm talking to Brian Berry, Chief Executive at the Federation of Master Builders and Task Force Member at the Construction Leadership Council. Hello, Brian. Hi there, Anna. Good to uh, be with you. Oh, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're super busy and you are very well connected and I would say influential in the world of repair, maintenance and home improvement, otherwise known as RMI, or often what gets talked about is the other third of construction. Um, But how did you find yourself working in construction generally? Well, do you know, Anna, by pure accident, um, which is often how things happen in life, isn't it? Because it is. I started off wanting to be a teacher. And um, and then when I was at university, I was going to be a teacher. And I had an opportunity to do a conversion course in law. It was the late 80s. Lots of money sloshing around in London. I came down for an interview. They said, fine, uh, go off to law college. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. That'd be fantastic. Um, but what am I going to do? before because I'd left it too late to get into college so I I got a job in a private school in London um, teaching six to seven year olds I had no experience Um, I mean it wouldn't happen today no checks done on me and I was in with a class of of 25 uh, 25 children and you know what that's the best training you can have in membership organizations (laughs) you've got all the different characters there you have to manage them and and, you know inspire them and and get them moving in the same direction and I think that was the best management training I've ever had and if you've got 25 children um all chatting away it's you you learn very quickly actually (laughs) to, to, to manage people um so from teaching I went to law college absolutely hated it because I love teaching and I like being with people and the law I found very dry. So I then went back home and my father was in despair because <laughs> what am I going to What's happening? What am I going to be doing? You're like, you know, he's just messing around now. So I, I was applying for jobs and I uh, got a job working at the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors in the parliamentary office. And what was interesting there, they rejected me for the administrator's job offered me the one in the parliamentary office which was fantastic for me um so from there I built up my career in public affairs policy and um I had a really good time at the ICS and I was seconded to Brussels and during that time I got to know about construction um as well as uh, agriculture because the ICS is quite a diverse organization and that's where I became um a head of policy for covering construction and that led on to joining the FNB. So purely by accident. I mean, it's funny how where life takes you. I've yeah. never been like Michael Hesseltine, you know, on the back of an envelope, plotting my future, just taking the chances and opportunities uh, as they've come along. And I think so far it's served me well. And I, I've been really interested working in the construction sector. Yeah, I think as well, it's, it, as you say, it's taking those opportunities and taking the opportunities and, and they're a learning experience. So even like you with law, even if it doesn't work out because you realise actually it's not your bag, well, you've experienced that and you've learned from it. And then you you do some, you know, there's another opportunity that allows you to, to move on from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I made some really good friends at Law College um, who 
are, have remained friends for the last 30 years and that's been fantastic so no experience is ever wasted in life I think you, as you say you, you learn from everything really and it always pays off later on in life for some, yeah. for some odd reason it's very strange it know, does it does and you're you're passionate about change. You and I have have known each other for a number of years, and one of the things that y- you are passionate about the industry, and you are passionate about um, wanting it to be the best that it can be. Um, we often um, let ourselves down, really, as an industry, and, and I know that you're passionate about that, and you do a lot of work on that with the FMB. Um, but but what? gets you up in the morning still as you said you've been in this for over 30 years what what gets you up in the morning well it's about I know it's a bit of a cliche but it is about making a difference Mm -hmm. um that motivates me uh in the construction sector we've got so much to do Anna haven't we we've got (laughs) it's a challenge it's a constant challenge but what I like about construction and especially builders um is that they're very honest they tell you as it is I don't always agree but I love their honesty and the Federation of Master Builders has got a long history. It goes back to 1941. And when I joined, it was very much a tr- traditional uh, trade association. Pay your money, get your badge. And since I've been there, we've been on this journey about becoming much more professional. So we've got entry criteria. You, uh, a building company can't join unless they uh, are independently inspected. And I'm so proud of the fact that actually a master builder company it has meaning now, whereas yeah. before it was like, well, you pay your 500 quid or so yeah. and you get thicker. Well, that can't be right. So I, uh, I'm i really in, uh, pleased that we've got meaning to being a, a master builder company. But it, we need to go further. You know, it's about raising standards, training, um, those whole host of issues. Um, and I think you and I share this thing about the repair, maintenance, improvement sector, often called the Cinderella mm. And we've got a bit of a challenge. I think we've made great progress over the last couple of years through the Construction Leadership Council and the fact, you know, we are strong voices within that. We're managing work streams. You and I have been actively involved in the creation of the National Retrofit Strategy. Again, it's all about making life better, isn't it? Making the homes and the places we work better. That's the motivating factor for me. I I would hate to be, you know, I've got huge respect for lawyers, but reading contracts and forms would you know it's just not me I like to be on the campaigning side yeah absolutely and I think you're absolutely right about wanting that um that change um and and doing things better what worries you the most what keeps you up at night not making the change <laughs> that it doesn't happen quick enough <laughs> that it doesn't happen we still keep enough. talking about the same thing we, in the same meeting. we keep repeating ourselves you know year in year out that people aren't listening uh, would I get fed up with me going on about certain issues? Um, uh, how can I persuade people to do things differently? Uh, that's, you know, that always worries me as well. And I, I do worry about the building industry, especially small builders. We've had, since I've been at the F&B, the financial crisis. Mm. We're going to be facing a tough time, I think, with the um, rising cost of materials and inflation. Yeah, That's a worry because about membership numbers and trying to support um our, our members through a, a difficult time so these are challenges but you need to have those challenges you need to worry to care and to, to want to make that difference um you've got to have the the bad to have the good really absolutely and i want to circle back to something that you just mentioned about um 
sort of in the past, in the annals of time, members of, of, of the FMB could have just, you know, paid their annual subs and got a badge and they stuck it on their van and whatever. But you've changed that. And the thing that I think is really fabulous about what you've done, and I want you to tell us a little bit more about it, is you're working with another NHIC member, which makes me very pleased when council members work together to improve the nation's homes together. That's the the, the vision of the NHIC. Um, because you're not... Um, it's not about checking yourself, is it? You, you alluded to it in that it's an independent check of um, crafts of professionalism. But so tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, so it's about checking our members' work, you know, because uh, unfortunately, anyone can be a builder in in our industry, which is really odd, isn't it? That you and I yeah. could go out this afternoon, and we, we could be offering ourselves as general builders. That can't be right. And that's why you've got the cowboys in our industry. We need to get them out. So um, I know that most building companies do a fantastic job. And we celebrate that through our Master Builder Awards. And good builders want to be recognised as highly competent, professional and looking after the public, which is why we've had to find ways of checking their work to make sure uh, they can say that, that they are properly accredited. And that's where the FNB, I think, has gone on this journey from being a traditional trade body, acting more like a, um, a trade union for them, to becoming much more of a professional body, setting standards that we expect our members to adhere to. So the basic ones are making sure that their business is um, legitimate. They've got the insurance in place that they yeah. know county court judgments, all this type of thing. Yeah. Um, but over and above that, checking the work. So we work with the British Board of Agrimont. They send out an inspector. They go on site, they check the work, and then they sign it off if that uh, work is up to the required standard. And then they can join the Federation um, of Master Builders. And that seems quite obvious, but that's only happened uh, over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. And it's a big change. Uh, I, I'm really proud that my members can say, we are Master Builders because we are independently inspected and we go through the entry criteria, we comply with the code of practice. We are, you know, professional builders. We are, we take pride in what we do and we can demonstrate that. And we need to roll that out across the entire building industry. Yeah. So when people say to me, oh, you've got this campaign, Brian, about licensing, it's more regulation, more red tape, more expense. I'm not asking for anything more than what really the FNB does. Um, what I'm saying is, this is not about more red tape. It's about showcasing, demonstrating what you do already um, and, and to be proud of it and to be ambassadors for, for our industry. It's not about trying to weigh down on, uh, on you with extra forms. It's to say, yeah, let's shout about what you do. You do fantastic work. And our builders, our good builders, don't get, I think, sometimes the recognition that they deserve. There is in this country, I think, still quite a lot of snobbery about going to university. Everyone wants, don't want their children to go to university, become an accountant, lawyer. I so wish they'd say, our son's going to be, or, or daughter's going to be a builder, and we're supporting them. Mm -hmm. They're learning, you know, they're doing a, a level two in carpentry, but they're not going to stop there. They want to set up their own business. That's what we want. In, if we're going to survive as a country going forward, if we're going to be really strong, we need much more um, entrepreneurial people who 
I think you find in the, in the building industry, they're the ones that are going to create the wealth. They're the ones with the passion to make a difference. These are the people who are changing where we live and where we work, hopefully for the better, but they are creating a better society. And that's where I think you and I share that vision about creating a better Britain. Yeah. And it's not just words. I mean, we're, you and I are beavering away through our work um, in our trade bodies, but through the Construction Leadership Council, mm-hmm. um, which is doing great work. Um, I think one of the things with the CLC that they traditionally they've been looking at the supply chain from the tier one contractor all the way down. So sometimes you have to wave your wave the arms and jump up and down and say hey what about the small builder the yeah. domestic builder can we look at do, this do you find um, them? yeah you... i do say i, I sometimes <laughs> in the sessions i'm like i'm ever so sorry you know you can see my hands up so you know what i'm gonna say how's this gonna work for the uh i don't know you know almost one and a half million exactly. people in rmi i know that you have to yeah. yourself how would you know the typical builder relate to some of these documents they're not they haven't got the time to read huge documents they need it they need to know uh how to do things quickly because they they are working during the day and often doing the paperwork at night they don't have dedicated departments as you know so uh and this I, is I think a, yeah sorry i just i completely jumped over you then i'm sorry i yeah, think it's yeah, an opportunity quick. of where some of the work that we're doing together around the digital transformation and around zero carbon because there's there's big things coming down the pipeline for um, small SME builders and tradespeople across all of RMI around um, zero carbon data gathering because we're going to have to know how our homes are, pr- are performing and um, and also things around building safety off the back of Grenfell and not having a two tier system for high rises and, and and ordinary homes if any home is actually ordinary. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to be starting to weigh down on already overwhelmed businesses and work that you and I are doing and others is about how can we create systems that support that rather than adding extra weight and then and eventually just putting some businesses out of out of practice. Absolutely. Um, We've got to make it proportionate for small businesses that we all the new initiatives or government interventions, changes to building regs, they've got to be put into a form that uh, builders can understand easily Mm. and not overcomplicate it. And that sometimes can be a bit frustrating when you hear about the journey to zero carbon, the language that's talked about sometimes, there's no relation to the everyday person in the building industry. And it's our job to try and translate it or to Mm. say, stop, you know, no one's going to read that or talk about those terms. What are the practical things they can do uh, to improving the energy efficiency of a home? Because that's going to make the difference. And again, you know, with energy bills rocketing, um, families uh, living in fuel poverty, as you know, there are two and a half million families living in fuel poverty in this country. It's going to double um, by the end of the year. I mean, that's shocking. You know, you're asking about... What gets me out of bed? I think, yeah, you know, trying to do something to help those families is a motivation in its own right about creating uh, warmer, energy efficient homes. Because if you're growing up in a home that's properly, not properly heated, or if you're an elderly person and you can't afford to put the heating on and you're suffering, that can't be right. That's no. our job to be talking to policymakers and reminding them that these stats are about people. And we know that because our, our members are in daily contact with everyday people. There's so much 
connected to, to their communities. Uh, they're not stuck in their office. They are out and about. They are living it. And um, that's why, you know, our, our, our task, Anna, isn't it? It's always to remind people what, when they're talking, how is that going to translate into mm. direct action that's going to make a difference? And, and when you um, look at it, there's 29 million homes that need to be um, retrofitted across the United Kingdom. And broad-ish sort of percentages, you know, broadly-ish, it's 20% social housing. Broadly-ish, it's 20% private rented. It's not quite as much as that. But so effectively, you've got, you know, 35 to 40% that are more or less taken care of through regulation. But that leaves 55 to 60% of that 29 million as owner-occupied. And that's families, real people, you and I, that are struggling to make ends meet with um, rising energy costs, as you say. And so when a lack of knowledge, because we're not experts in how to uh, make our homes energy efficient um, or what needs to be done, and when we do take that step to get some home improvement works done, you refer to, to, to rogue traders earlier as cowboys, and, and it can end up being a feeling like it's the Wild West out there. And it's, well, organisations like the Federation of Master Builders through your, um, you know, making sure that people are, are licensed and uh, connected and, and trained properly and other competency schemes that exist within their own sort of professionalism. Um, it, it's about making it's safer for people when they when an intervention is necessary for it to actually happen because at the minute you know you you mentioned you've got 7000 members there's not enough of your members to do the 29 million homes no. <laughs> even the, the you know the 60% of the 29 million homes that need to get done what are your thoughts on that yeah do you know it's a mammoth challenge um it's a huge market for the building industry should be a great opportunity um but homeowners they need to know what they can have done to their homes. So that's the first bit, because I wouldn't be too sure. I live in a Victorian terrace house. What should I have done? I've got, you know, single glazed windows. I've got those original Victorian cor corners, seeing all the fancy bits. I mean, what do you do? Do you, do, do you take them down? Do you get copies made if you can have the walls insulated? So that's where we, we all need help. And that's what, where we need um, a building passport for every mm -hmm. home in this country. So that actually you can work out what can be done, some indication of costs, that's the first step. And then you need to make sure you've got a workforce that can actually do the work, which is where we, we come into the accreditation of retrofit uh, uh, installers, so making sure that they're competent. And then we think we've got to train them up. But then of course, where's the money gonna come from? So mm -hmm. it's all interconnected. And what worries me, Anna, is, the government published its uh, heat and building strategy last year. It yeah. talked about heat pumps. Sounds yeah. a great idea, um, except <laughs> that it's only suitable for about 40% 40, 40 of housing that those built after 1970. So what about the remaining 60%? There, there, was no, there was no clarity, was there, that it's only, only relevant for a certain type of stock? Yeah. No. So, yeah. It made it, you know, the, the, the government issued a press release saying about you can rip out your gas boiler and get a heat pump that's how that's the message it was misleading because for the vast majority of us you've got to insulate the walls because a heat pump won't bring the temperature up to the required level yeah. so that was really annoying and i think it was 
disingenuous of the government to do it, make it sound mm -hmm. so easy because yeah. it's not easy to do it. Every home is different. And so I really, really want the government to adopt a long-term approach on this. And I think it's, as you said, 29 million homes. That's a huge amount of work over the next 20, 30 years. It's a major infrastructure project. You're absolutely Why don't right. we call it? Why don't we call it that? Call it what it is. Call it what it is. This is a major operation to mobilise the building industry, tackling 29 million homes mm -hmm. um, to, make, to, to make them greener and more energy efficient. And what a great thing that would be, get the economy moving, not just in London, which is always mm -hmm. criticised, but in every town, every village, because homes are everywhere. And uh, it would be local builders and installers who tend to employ local people as apprentices. This is the key. It Say is. it again, Brian, because this is the key. No other industry, I can't think of another industry that the money stays locally, the 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 the, the employment, the, the vitality. I can't think of another industry that delivers this. No, not in every village, every town that employs um, an apprentice or apprentices. And we know 92 pence of every pound invested in construction stays in the UK. That's what we need. We're about to go into recession, apparently, at the end of the year. I hope we don't. But if we do, the best way to get the economy moving is to spend money in construction. And there couldn't be a better way than improving our homes. It's a tick in the box for our climate need to make our homes greener. It's a tick in the box to actually tackle fuel poverty. And if it's going to double by the end of the year, we're going to get social unrest because people ultimately won't put up with it. And it's a tick in the box for our industry. It's about raising standards and um, uh, making our industry much more attractive to a wider range of people. And that's going to be critical because we, we've got to get more people into our sector. We've got 42,000 vacancies, Anna, in our industry yeah. at the moment. That's Literally gives a job, isn't it? Literally. Gives a job. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to attract more people into our, into our sector. We need to get more women on the tools. Mm -hmm. 2%. 2% of women. Is that as low as it is? I didn't yeah. realise it was quite that low. It is really low. So we've got a job on the there. Tours. Why, aren't, why don't we see more women plumbers and carpenters? Yep. It's a great career. Um, there's, there's a problem with the image of our industry. So we've got to tackle that in our schools and colleges and, and start putting vocational training on par with going to university. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we're not going to be able to... Um, compete as a country we need construction for Britain to be competitive and um, that's why I'm really pleased to COC has come together during the pandemic giving us a stronger voice but my goodness we've got to keep shouting loudly to, we to be heard sometimes well that's I'm pleased you've come on to the COC and I know you're a real real big advocate for the work that they do um, and the work that you do at, within the COC can you tell us a bit more about it yeah, so for those who are less familiar, the Construction Leadership Council, known as CLC, is an umbrella group, brings together all parts of the construction sector. So you've got the tier one contractors, right down to my members who are sole traders doing domestic and repair work. Um, it meets once a week It's been uh, as a task mm -hmm. force, talking about all of the issues that are impacting on the construction industry. So it's very live and very real. Um, but linked to that, we've got advisors, and you're one of the advisors who uh, meets up with the chair and some members of, of the task force. And there's a number of work streams. And you've got the digital one. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the RMI 
uh, working group and the big output from that has been the creation of the national retrofit strategy which is a really um, important piece of work i think it's been a fantastic result because everyone's been working together on that mm -hmm. it's a major piece of work it's part of the clc construct zero um one of their mm -hmm. nine priorities so how good is that to have rmi at the top on the top table um when just a few years ago it wouldn't have been looked at well it wouldn't have been looked at and even if you'd have got housing even housing wasn't looked at on the top table and you sort of thought well if we could you know grab on the coattails of new build but actually with you know cinderella is definitely going to the ball i think in yeah. the you know the, the pennies are starting to drop that yeah. um existing stock is a major key to unlock a lot of problems Exactly. I think Cinderella has just arrived at the ball, but we need to give her a bit more razzle-dazzle. And, um, <laughs> and I feel there's so much more we need to be doing about the value of RMI uh, to the construction sector and the economy, what retrofit would mean in terms of boosting jobs and um, improving standards and building safety. All this, we, we have to keep repeating it over and over again, Anna, because it gets lost i think yeah. sometimes in the conversation um i think oftentimes because we haven't been around the table for so long as industry representatives and industry ambassadors i think we we probably feel ourselves as though we're repeating ourselves all the time mm. but i think people that are listening a lot of the time it's quite new to them and i think you know back back in my uh, marketing and communication days tell them tell them tell them again you know, tell them again, tell them that you told them, you know, all that side of thing. And I and I do think that we just keep having to keep um, saying the same messages um, and, and keep repeating it and, and keep, you know, outlining all of the different economic benefits, social benefits, educational attainment benefits, impact on the health service for having warm, comfortable homes, um, you know, and keep drawing these dots. And, and something that um, you mentioned, and I didn't write down exactly how you described it, but I thought it was definitely needed because we have talked about this, this type of Olympic delivery authority. We have, um, yeah. But you, you mentioned something a different, you phrased it differently. And I thought, well, that, you know, is, again, just phrase it slightly differently and it might tag with people. What was it? It, it was not your green revolution. It was the you know, I can't quite remember, but it was I was talking about a green uh, homes revolution. Yeah. And we need someone within government, the cabinet office or in number 10 to coordinate all this. Um, and someone mentioned, I think, I know about like we had the chief construction advisor. Maybe we need the chief retrofit advisor um, because we need someone right at the center of government to say, look, retrofit is a major infrastructure project. It, we're going to have to think about the, uh, the supply of labour, we're going to put the financial incentives in, we're going to set out a 20-year plan. Um, this has got to work. We're not going to deliver zero carbon unless we do this. And that's what I'd like to see. I feel it's fragmented at the moment and uh, bits um, within government are saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're dealing with that, but we're not getting the whole picture and we need someone to join up the dots within yeah. government. And we need to talk a language, I think, to consumers, because sometimes I talk about retrofit and people are not quite sure what retrofit is. We, we all talk about retrofit, but if we went into the street and said, what about retrofitting your house? People would be saying, what do you mean retrofitting? We're, we're doing what? 
Yeah. Well, we talk so, about home improvement at the Home Improvement Council. Yeah. But but I think retrofit, you're absolutely right. It's it's become a colloquialism, which means improving your home with an energy focus. Um, but you're absolutely right. And the thing that you you said, which I quite I liked, was a natural retrofit task force. So um, but it you it, it's about pulling together, getting the people in the room, um, and saying, let's all because if even if we all think of our own strategies in silos, we're going to all slightly miss the target. At least if we all look inwards, um, then, you know, we'll have a better chance of, of hitting the target. Absolutely. And we've got a massive target to hit. And that's why I just feel, you know, through the national retrofit strategy, um, it needs joining up within government so that we can then change the messaging to make people understand having better homes to live. Everyone knows that a warm home is a better home to live in. If they keep the energy bills down, that's the language we need to be using yeah. to get public support for green homes. Whatever we want to call them, that's what we need. We need a national campaign, really. Part of the I green think we, need to, we need to get it down to a, even more than a one page, less than a one pager, you know, because and let every, there are so many people with invested interests and so many different associations and mm-hmm. and everybody wants to do something in the right direction. We almost just need an arrow shot that goes out that says this is direction. And it's um, I often talk about our industry as, you know, the little ships. And, and there needs to be, you know, a, a, a flagship to that armada that just says this is the direction. Then everybody can follow in that wake and all head in the same direction towards a, a low and zero carbon future um, with better skills, better performing buildings, warmer occupants that um, don't have to make heat or eat choices. I mean, how, you know, it's 2022. We're one of the most developed nations on the planet. How are we how have we got five million families in fuel poverty? I mean, it. No, it's not acceptable, Anna. It really isn't acceptable. And I think when people are having to make a choice this winter about food on the table or um, heating your home, people are going to become very uneasy and very yeah. angry about this situation. So I think you know, there will be demonstrations. There are bound to be because it's not right that people have to make that choice. And hopefully, you know, governments and politicians will recognise that and do something about it because it, it's clearly not acceptable. Um, I completely agree. Completely agree. Now, this podcast, as we know, is called Net Zero for Nothing. So what can listeners do um, for nothing or let's say less than £100 that you think would make a huge impact to their homes? That's a very difficult question because you know that actually... Um, if you are retrofitting your home, it runs into tens of thousands. It does. But I'm just thinking of my drafty old home. And because um, I'm terrible, I need to do some retrofit on it. So, for example, I've got floorboards in the sitting room and the hallway. And there are gaps. They've been filled in. The fillers dropped down. So I need to fill in the gaps or put a heavy rug on top. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something everyone could do, um, filling in those gaps on the floorboards windows you know it is straightforward cutting out the drafts where you can i've got some tape around the wind at front door and on the inside because it, mm-hmm. it's a bit leaky um the letterbox i've got a piece of cloth over the, the letterbox mm-hmm. because that that's very drafty so these are all really cheap measures to try to keep your home a bit warmer in the winter um and you know the other thing is completely different but if you are having work done to your home 
do do your homework. Yeah, that doesn't cost anything, does it? It doesn't cost anything. Go on the FMB's website, find a builder. Ask friends, ask family. It does, you know, if that's what you want to do, because most people just ask around. But please, 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 you know, do some homework. There's too many people spend lots of money uh, on a company that they haven't checked and then sadly they become a victim. And don't become a victim. And that means just checking online, see what that company is all about. And your home is the biggest asset most families are ever going to own, spend their money on. And it's the biggest outlay, your mortgage. And second to that is your energy bill. And so, you know, as as you say, do the research, find when you do get improvements done, make sure that it's a reputable builder, check that they've got the right qualifications and right competencies and um, and make sure that what you're doing is genuinely going to improve the performance of your home. Don't don't just it's nice to have a nice kitchen. Don't get me wrong. I'm planning bathrooms at the minute. It's lovely. But with a mind to the future of where energy prices are going, you do need to think about how do you minimize the load um, on your energy usage for sure. Yeah. And I'm thinking fabric first now because yeah. I know that my gas boiler will have to be ripped out at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I need to start thinking about the windows, the walls, and the, the leaky floorboards. And uh, I, I'm seriously now thinking, yeah, this is crazy. It's costing me a lot of money now to heat my home. So let's think about the fabric. And then at some point I'll invest in the heat pump, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But not at, at the moment. It's a lot of money. Um, and there are things I can do on that journey. And it is a journey. No one's got, well, very few people have got 20, 30, 40,000 pounds to do it in one go. But there are small bits you can do to, to move towards that. Um, and it filling in, you know, checking the, the drafts and the leaks and then thinking about the fabric and then changing your heating system. And by hopefully by that point, it will become cheaper. Um, that's the hope. And I think as well, by having conversations with, in your case, reputable builders or reputable um, gas or electric installers or reputable um, glazing companies that are accredited and listed with Trustmark or the competent person schemes, all of those associations that are members of the NHIC are working down through their own membership to help improve knowledge to help you know translate government policy and and if you're working with within that system you are more protected and you should help it is a journey for your house it's not about let's do it once and forget it this is about making small increments every time you do a home improvement intervention i think absolutely and as you were talking there, and I think it's always about reaching out. It's always about people, isn't it? Reach out to, as you say, other scheme operators in the NHIC, talk to electricians, plumbers, talk to the builders, um, find out what you can do, read up on it. There's a lot of information online or on your website, on my website mm-hmm. about greener homes. Do your homework, look after yourself, protect yourself, and you can create a better home for yourself and you're going to save money and that's critical and it's especially in the coming months. So you can start to make a difference. Everyone can make a contribution to the zero carbon. Well, thank you so much, Brian. It's been, I could talk to you all day, Um, but thank you also to our listeners for listening to this episode of Net Zero for Nothing from the National Home Improvement Council, the voice of home improvement. 
Be sure to follow us across social media, searching for at the NHIC and NHIC UK. And subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean for future episodes. Thank you.